Welcome to Chaos to Clarity. On today's episode, Eric talks with John Winner, co-founder and CEO of Kaizen, the first no-code, enterprise-grade CRM and operations platform. They work through a model that Eric has structured to understand John's unique experience finding success at every level of growth and dive deep into the substance of his journey from chaos to clarity. Hey, John, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show today. Yeah, great to meet you as well, Eric. Very excited to be here. Really excited to talk to you today because uh, the area that you're in around scaling up companies and automating process is something pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, before before we get there, I just want to state the obvious. John Winner, you're just set up <laughs> for success right there. Do, do you ever look in the mirror and just uh, say your name to yourself to pump yourself up? <laughs> well, I, I do think I got very, very lucky with that one, and it's been a blessing for sure. I don't sit in the mirror and say, let's go, John. I do say that. I don't say, let's go, John Winner. Um, but yeah, I've been very appreciative to have that name. It's been helpful. <laughs> anyway, so um, anyway, pleasure to have you today. So what's your story? What uh, brought you to where you are today? Yeah, well, um, I was raised in South Florida and my parents always very much encouraged me to be an entrepreneur. Um, so much so that when I was a little kid, uh, we would play a game called cash flow instead of just the normal monopoly where you'd be trading stocks and things like that. And there was always different books that I was encouraged to read. Um, both my parents are in the medical industry and they felt that they didn't learn business until later in life. And so um, in 2002, when I was 13 years old, an opportunity to take kind of all of that that I had been learning uh, came to be. So uh, as I mentioned, growing up in South Florida, a lot of people from the Northeast retire down there. And my grandparents lived actually a mile down the road. And so what ended up happening was I helped my grandma fix her computer and she was president of the Italian club, very proud Sicilian. And she ended up telling everyone the next day at the uh, Italian club in English and Italian that I had um, helped her fix her computer. So my mom picked me up from school the next day and said, John, you're never going to believe it. And I said, what? She said, well, there's over 40 voicemails of people asking you to come help fix their computer. So this is like early days of computers, right? There's no geek squad. There's really no genius bar at the time. So I'd ride my bike around and um, help people fix their computers um, and uh, started charging for that. So that was my first business that I lucked into. It grew as we did a good job for our customers. They would tell others. Um, and ended up hiring my first person a few months later who still works with me to this day. So Scott Turner, yeah. total genius, my co-founder in our current business. And over the years, um, that business, that original computer consulting business, someone asked us, could you build a website, a lawyer? And uh, I said, you know, we've, we've never built a website before, but um, I bet we can figure it out. And he was like, great. It was a Saturday morning. He said, come in Tuesday to our law firm. And presentation goes well, we'll hire you to build a website. So that weekend we were yahooing because Google wasn't quite out yet um, <laughs> on, on how to build a website. And there were just a lot of opportunities. Um, so started six companies, um, several of them in the tech space, uh, a little bit in the health, a little bit, I had a textbook business. So just seeing opportunities, seeing places to help. And um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Oh, that's wonderful. I, so I also grew up in, in South Florida. Where exactly were you? Oh, awesome. Uh, Palm Beach Gardens, PJ Boulevard, Bellin Isles. Pretty close. I was in Boca Raton, kind of oh, bounced. Nice. I went to University of Florida. I was a Gator. And I Amazing. also had a computer fixing uh, business. So, you know, I, I, I didn't like mowing nice. lawns so much. 
did that in those hot <laughs> those hot Florida summers. Uh, didn't yeah. enjoy it too much, but kind of similar. So not only fixing, but then building PCs for for friends that's and awesome. family and things like that. And it's kind of the same cool. trajectory that, that as you. So that's really cool. Um, so so six companies. That's amazing. Uh, so you obviously you've got that sort of entrepreneurial gene. So this is one of the things I one of the kind of main topics I wanted to to dig in with you on is. I'm all about creating patterns and models, right? And so this mm -hmm. podcast, Chaos to Clarity, as well as my executive coaching business, I'm trying to figure out what are the pitfalls and what are the keys to unlock that next level of growth. So I always love yeah. talking to people who've been through it multiple times and see what were some of the patterns that you wish you had known early on, right? Or the things mm -hmm. that you learned along the way um, that maybe yeah. could help uh, some of our audience. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's there's a lot. So to um, to say some simple points to start with, a big two. Um, the first one is really everyone talks about customer obsession, right? And listening to your customer. And it's in any book you read, pretty much on marketing or business growth. That'll be chapter one. And early on in my career, um, you know, I was gifted, kind of like it was clear what the customer wanted, but. Some of my later businesses, I wasn't as focused on listening to exactly what that customer is saying and don't intellectualize what they're saying. Listen to the exact words that they're saying and repeat those words and see where you notice a pattern in where multiple people are saying things like that. So really having an obsession with the customer and listening so that you know you've identified a very clear problem. And, and you know that they want to solve it. So that customer obsession and, and extreme listening would be important. Um, the second piece, and this is important for everyone and especially important for those who are raising outside capital um, to help fund their business, would be to uh, really understand your financial model. How is your business going to scale over time? Um, what are the different inflection points for growth? How much is it going to cost you to get there? What's your basic profit margin? So the good news is, even if you never loved math class, these are all <laughs> numbers that you can get really good at in your business. And so if you're going to be a leader in business or if you're going to start your own, understanding the metrics behind what you're doing is really important. Um, I was fortunate that I was always pretty good at the metrics because we needed to pay our own bills. I didn't raise any money for my first five companies. It was always with my own capital. And so that makes you pay attention. But then this business where we've raised quite a bit of outside funding to help us build what we needed to build, it's a different language that you need to be able to speak with the investors on that. Right. And so I wish I had spent more time learning about that before I started raising capital. Yeah, that's... A Perfect. Those are two really, really common points that come up with me and my clients as well. So I'm a I'm a engineering and product focused coach, um, cool. and so the the clients that typically come to me are the ones that have a really strong product vision, but mm -hmm. that's where some of the gaps are, especially around you know the financial model. And so we focus on unit economics, we focus on metrics and things like that, um, because a lot of times, yeah, they don't they don't have those skills and haven't done it especially over the last few years where it's been a little bit wild west in terms of fundraising. I have several <laughs> clients who raised millions, you know, tens of millions of dollars, almost like no questions asked, no strings attached, no board, no, <laughs> no nothing, no due diligence. It's like wild. And, you know, hey, good for them. But now they're at a much later stage in their company's growth and they missed out on some of those 
hard experiences of having to go through due diligence and having to go through and really have to uh, to to put in that 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 legwork. So yeah. I actually do things like uh, like a mock board uh, quarterly things like that, where I actually say, Hey, even if you don't have a board, let's just go through that exercise because you actually need to have this stuff because you're not going to be able to make it to the next level. And then yeah. on the customer side, so that's really my, that's my forte. I'm all about, um, customer feedback and, and human centered design, product led growth and that sort of thing. So I love that that was the one that, that you led with. So when, when, when I work with early stage startup founders, they are, a lot of times it's like they're they're in a race. Cash is super tight and they're trying to build something and get it out as quickly as possible before they they run out of money. So my philosophy is, you know, don't don't ramp up your burn rate, right? Don't hire developers, don't try building stuff. The startup phase is really about learning and discovery. Um, and so it's all about customer interviews. It's all about becoming an insider um, with your customers, building those relationships and that empathy to ensure that you are actually delivering a solution that matters to them and and that can scale. And so I, I push people pretty hard. Like it gets uncomfortable sometimes when they're like, I really want to start writing code now. And I'm like, you haven't done the work yet. You haven't validated. You haven't, you know, your customer, the signal isn't so strong. Uh, in some cases, I've even pushed them to like start an agency, you know, and, and actually deliver a service uh, manually or, or, you know, with, with, with humans <laughs> as opposed to with software and think about your SaaS platform is just the automation and scale of whatever that service is that you're, that you're building for them. Um, so anyway, love, love the, uh, love the response. I think I'm, I'm, we're definitely aligned there. Yeah. Um, anything that like, you know, you kind of, if you could speak to your younger self in those early days, any kind of big mistakes or anything that you made, um, that you, you, you could have avoided or you would have avoided now. Yeah. Well, um, definitely things that we can jump in there. And, um, one thing that you said really struck me as being interesting as well. And it sort of, um, was a mistake actually, uh, for me at first, I didn't understand the positive role that a board can play in really helping you grow your sophistication and discipline as a company and also providing an outlet for growth. Uh, in every direction. And so more specifically, I think coming into this business, um, I had, I, I would have resonated with the people who were able to raise a round without putting a board member on. It's like, yeah. oh, great. I know what's right. I know <laughs> what's best. Right. And you're young and, you know, you, you, uh, you want to be able to go forward with your vision. The thing that I've learned is that there are a lot of people who have seen a lot of people like me try and start businesses. And what they've been able to do is see, like you're talking about the patterns of what really works <clears throat> and the organizational discipline that needs to be developed. And so I think uh, we ran Kaizen for a little bit without a board. And then we began a very heavily disciplined board when we first raised money. And I think it really helped me grow as a leader and it helped the organization grow faster. Um, and it's important, you know, this leads to another uh, challenge that I think um, CEOs and entrepreneurs have is you have to be absolutely incredible at communication, right? And you have to understand that that communication is different to different groups. And so for me, with my background, I always had a really good ability to speak to our team because I'd spent a lot of time personally studying management and psychology and I had spent a lot of time as well, you know, having a marketing background and psychology background again, 
being focused on the customer, but I did not spend as much time focusing on the investor and how to manage those uh, communications. And it is a distinctly different way that you talk about your business when you speak with investors than when you speak with a potential customer. Um, and so, so there were definitely uh, learning lessons there. Um, as far as other things, um, you know, I had a business a while ago called Nutri Apex, where, you know, you're saying that you really, the entrepreneurs that work with you, you really make sure that that signal is strong enough before you start investing heavily in product development. Mm -hmm. That was a business where I definitely learned that lesson the hard way <laughs> by spending a couple hundred thousand dollars on something that frankly shouldn't have been developed the way we developed it. And we had to throw that out and completely start over. So that, that's a painful lesson, um, you know, at any point, but especially so early in my career and in my life. Um, so I think that's really smart coaching that you're, you're thinking about there as well. So those are some immediate ones that come to mind. Yeah. Uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's interesting. So the, you know, like you mentioned the board, it, it is a chore and founders, you know, are, are obviously resistant to be, to give up any sort of control, but it's also a really powerful form of accountability. And I think mm -hmm. that's some of the challenge that at least this sort of new crop of, of, of early founders are, are dealing with right now is the lack of accountability is causing them to be sloppy in their discipline of running their, their startup. And now that the economy has obviously changed and some are starting to move towards that, having to raise that next round, oh boy, there's a reckoning. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm trying to help, right? So I'm trying to say, hey, you know what, this is this is coming down the line for you, maybe in, in a year, maybe in a couple of years, but um, it's coming. So let's let's practice and let's do that work right now. Mm -hmm. um, so that's fantastic. Smart. So um, uh, there's a, there's there's something I, I wanted to dig in with you today on, and it's a bit of a, a workshop, if you don't mind. W would you be interested cool. in kind of working through a, a model with me? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. So, uh, so as a coach, right, I, I, I create models for everything. And one of the things that I love to do is to create sort of maturity models for role for, you know, C-level roles as they move mm -hmm. through different stages of growth. Um, and I have one for the CEO founder role as well. And I kind of want to get your take <laughs> on it because running six businesses, having a management consulting firm, I think you'd be the perfect person to, um, to help me out here. Cool. So, um, so the way I do it is this. So there's sort of the four key stages of growth. You have the early startup, the growth phase, scale, and then enterprise. And mm -hmm. I try to create just like a, a simple persona uh, at each stage of, of growth. So can I just sort of take you through each of those stages and then ask you some questions and tell me what you think? Yeah, sounds great. All right, a little more, a little more structured than probably a normal, normal interview. But like I said, <laughs> I think it would be a cool workshop. And then we can get into talking about Kaizen and I'm sure all of these things will resonate. Cool. Sound good. Sounds um, great. So starting at the startup stage, so we're talking about kind of idea to MVP and traction. Um, and the, the kind of key questions that I'm looking to ask here are, what are the main focus areas that a founder needs to, to, uh, to focus on? What are their sort of main frustrations? What are their goals? Uh, what are the big risks, things that are going to take them off track or maybe blow them up? Um, and then those those areas for growth and kind of keys to unlocking the next level. Um, so what do you think? So early startup founder, what do you say are like the three highest priority sort of areas of responsibility? I, I like this framework. So this is going to be fun. Uh, so from an early stage perspective, and, and you mentioned something earlier about, you know, where do you invest your capital? Um, how much capital do you need? You know, I think is another question that I'd add. So I think you have to come up with a really compelling vision. 
at the very beginning of what it is that you're building, why your customers are desperately in need of this product or why it would significantly improve their lives if it existed and um, really having conviction in that um, and being able to say there's an absolute need and this is going to make the world a better place. And having that is essential and being able to communicate that is essential to being able to recruit the people you need to be able to make it happen, right? And so that means everything from fellow team members, co-founders, um, to investors if you, if you need capital. So I think that leads me to the, the second piece of this, which is how much is it going to cost? When I, you know, meet people who want to start a business, you know, I, th that's kind of what I ask first. What is it? How's it going to help? What's it going to do? What's the value that it's going to bring to customers? How much is a customer going to pay for this? How much is it going to cost you to deliver this service, right? And I think you have a brilliant idea with, look, we want it to be fully automated later. But at the beginning, let's deliver this as a service and then make software execute it. That can be a very functional model. I think that the frustrations that you'll experience at this stage um, is, is potentially not being able to communicate what you're wanting to build well enough, that people may not get it. Um, if you are out there raising capital at this stage, you're going to get a lot of no's, right? So um, the founders of Google had over 100 people say no to them. I'm uh, lucky enough to be in that club as well. Woo! Um, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so you're going to have to get used to um, people not seeing, you know, what you're wanting to build. And part of the time that's because you're not communicating it well enough. And part of the time it's because as entrepreneurs and as creators and builders, it's our job to imagine something that doesn't exist and make it happen, right? Um, and so I think from a risk standpoint, your initial team members are so crucial um, to make sure that you have the right team members. Um, you're not going to make every hire perfectly. So that's going to be frustrating. Um, and um, it's really important to be honest with yourself and others if, something, if someone isn't a fit. Um, it's very possible that you hired an awesome person, but they're just not the right person at this time in the business. And startups are hard. Some people think they want to be in a startup, um, you know, in an early stage company where you have to wear multiple hats. They might have the most incredible resume ever at big corporate companies. And then they come and they're like, hold on a second. I didn't realize that you get this little support um, <laughs> starting something yourself. So. Um, never mind. send me back to, you know, Google or Facebook where things are a little more cushy, um, you know, and so I think those are big things that I'd be thinking about and we can go deeper into anything else if, yeah. I, if I missed uh, one of that question. No, no, that's, that's, that. that's fantastic. So yeah, you definitely hit on some, some really critical points there and storytelling being this kind of common thread, obviously being able to have a vision, but being able to communicate that vision clearly to attract <laughs> and to influence people, not only to join your company, but then also to stick through it when things are inevitably getting really tough, right? Why should somebody yep. come from a cushy job and put on 17 hats and work at your startup? Well, they need to have that same conviction and belief as you do. Mm -hmm. um, so you can call it evangelism, if you will, but it's really about great storytelling. Um, I like so that. a couple other things. So, okay, so you're stuck in this mode. There's a lot of frustration. Obviously, you're you're having to build the thing and scrape by and and make do with with doing without a lot of uh, things that you probably really need. So what do you think are the, the keys to unlock or to get to that next level to actually get some traction and growth? 
Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point because from a, you know, frustration and emotional challenge standpoint, you, you have existential risk at this point, right? Are we going to continue to exist as a company? Um, and that's present more in, in every stage than people realize, but it's especially present, uh, in the early stage. And so the key point to focus on, um, you know, from, from my perspective is, you know, that customer model, that customer acquisition, right? How are we able to systematically go out and, you know, reach uh, an individual, give them a value proposition of how we can help and they go, oh, I'm, I'm interested in that. Yeah, that's interesting. And then go through what your sales process is. So it depends what, uh, who you're talking to, but the investment community quantifies, you know, these, uh, you know, into specific uh, amounts of revenue that you're generating on an annual basis, right? And so at this point, there's a heavy focus on revenue. I am a big believer, though, in reward at the discipline of doing the fundamentals properly. If you do the fundamentals right, like you've talked about, we've talked about earlier on focusing on your customer. If you're getting out there and putting a high amount of effort into a process that you're measuring and constantly improving, that's going to allow you to um, you know, grow over time. And so I think um, it's our job as leaders to also be incredibly positive uh, through this phase and um, be very happy with the team and, and focus on, okay, maybe this didn't go our way, but we're, we're executing the right process and this will result in success. Um, I like to say the progress isn't linear, right? It's non-linear. So it's like for those that are in golf, sometimes you hit a ball and it hits a tree and it ends up behind you and uh, it goes way off to the right or the left and that that's not where I wanted to go. Uh, business can be similar to that where it doesn't always go according to plan. So you should be prepared. In fact, it usually doesn't, right? You should be prepared for the curveballs and and really um, also, I think, make sure that you're building a strong personal support system for not only yourself, but also your key team members, right? Because everyone that gets involved in these really wants to succeed, really wants to put a lot of effort in. And we have to take care of people as people first before they can come to work and do an awesome job. Yeah. Yeah. So you, there's, I see some really great themes here. So when you talk about conviction, when you talk about storytelling, when you talk about customer focus, when those things align, you have this obsession over the problem, this belief in a problem that needs to be solved. And mm -hmm. that's your beacon, right? That's the lighthouse in the storm. And yep. so your agility as a startup, right? That's sort of your, you know, your main, um, uh, your, your strength as a, as a startup is being able to ride those waves and move in all those different directions, even if it's not always, you know, going the right way. Um, but then always being able to continually head towards that beacon uh, mm -hmm. is is really how you get to to the next level, which is which is the growth stage. Yes. So so let's define that. So growth, I see it as uh, you know you've got a product in market, you've got some early adopters, maybe even some raising raving fans, but the growth is happening in kind of fits and spurts. You're still sort of pushing the boulder up the hill. There's still a lot of effort that it takes to, to get to that next level of, of growth and, and hone in on product market fit. So at this stage, what do you think are kind of the, the key focus areas for the CEO? Um, <clears throat> find the raving fans, <laughs> if we had yeah. to say it in a, in a nutshell, <laughs> right? And so, you know, at this point, you know, you may have different people using whatever your product or service is in different ways and trying to find the ones that are really having a lot of success with the platform. I think my favorite question 
is instead of net promoter score, you know, how likely are you to refer this to a friend? Um, you know, that's interesting. I think that's a great uh, framework to use in building out products. But I also think how upset would you be if you no longer had this product or service is an even better one to find the people where it's like, wow, I'm really on to something here, right? Where they don't want to not be without what we're offering. Um, so at this point, you know, it's going to be, if I was building out this model, I think I'd have columns and several of these columns you'd be focusing on continuously, right? So we talked in the first one about finding the right people to join you, right? And so what, you know, at the beginning, kind of that first salesperson that you need, that's going to go out and, and, you know, help you find stuff. And oftentimes founders have to be that themselves. In the growth stage here, you may start to bring on someone who's strategic from a sales and revenue standpoint to help you figure out what's really working. I have, my whole career, I have been obsessed with making sure that we honor and go above and beyond for the promises we make to our customers. And through that, I think that having a, a base of extremely happy customers who, are, who appreciate and know that you care about them, that's the people who will give your business such a driver and for everything that you need to do, whether it's, you know, running a press campaign, right? They're going to want to talk to your customers, whether it's, um, you know, a, a big customer wanting to know, hey, could I get a reference of someone that you work with right now? Um, or, you know, whether it's an investor, they want to speak with your customers. So building that group that you've really helped them and seeking the commonalities in that group is important. Once you identify a few commonalities, <clears throat> You're basically developing a thesis to say people or businesses that look like this are the ones that most value my service because of X, Y, Z, right? And then, um, you know, you put that to the test, right? Do the outreach, do the marketing towards that specific group and see if it comes true. Once that starts coming true, you have that elusive product market fit, which if you're going to be growing your business, you're probably going to find product market fit multiple times, right? You know, but find your first product market fit, build repeatability there. Now that's something where kind of every investor goes, hey, you know, I just want to put fuel on the fire. And it's like, well, we've got a fire going over here, buddy. So let's put some <laughs> fuel on it, right? Yeah. That's how I think of that. That's an interesting point yeah, you call out around repeatability. That's what I think is one of the, the core challenges in the growth phase and, and the unlocks is finding some element of repeatability somewhere in your business, whether mm -hmm. it's product marketing, sell, whatever it is, that's the point at which something has to work well enough and, and, and consistently enough that you can create some level of repeatability before you can even, before you're even looking at, at scale. And, and the reason why I think this is actually one, a risk as well as a, an unlock is if you don't find that repeatability and it work and your, your business takes off. Yeah. You don't want to, you don't want the, 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 the candle to be lit under your rocket and you're not, you know, attached and, and ready to go. So when the demand side really starts to take over and you move up into the scale stage, if you haven't found some sort of repeatability, uh, you're going to explode. Your rocket's going to explode. So, so let's talk about that. So that next level of, of scale is where, um, is where it starts to move under its own steam, its own momentum. I, I like to say it's kind of like, uh, you know, crossing the event horizon of a black hole. Right. Product market fit is like you don't know exactly when you've crossed that barrier, but gravity really starts to take over on the demand side mm -hmm. and then it becomes exponential. 
And so the biggest challenges that I deal with with my my scale stage clients is around um, creating scalable systems, systems that can scale exponentially with demand, um, especially around hiring, but also around the platform itself and the processes and what have you. And that's where I think, you know, our, our conversation around Kaizen will be really interesting. But what do you think, again, at the at the scale stages, you've reached product market fit, demand really starts to take off. What do you think are the, the key focus areas for uh, the CEO at that stage? Yeah. I think until this stage in the way you're defining it, it's probably possible for a CEO or group of founders to have a direct relationship with most people, if not all people mm -hmm. in the company. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the big differences in this, um, you know, part of the growth journey is that you're not going to know everyone personally. And so it's essential that you've made the investment or that you're going to make the investment in building culture intentionally um, so that when you're not in the room, you've given people a guidebook on how we make decisions in this company, <laughs> right? And what is the heart and soul of the team, right? And, and that dedication, you know, that you have to whatever it is that you've built your company around. Um, so I think that's incredibly important. Um, I think as you're talking about, you know, scalable systems, making sure those are in place, um, you know, certain team members are going to be scaling with the business and certain team members are going to, um, you know, kind of top out at a certain place. Mm -hmm. And that can be a difficult thing, but um, that's something that's also really helpful from a board perspective, right? You know, do we have the right senior leaders for the challenge that's in front of us? Um, and so making sure that you're surrounding yourself with people who can help with that next stage but also respect if there's certain things that you're like, hey, we do these things differently here. And that's a core part of what we do, right? Versus we do things differently here because we just haven't grown up yet, right? <laughs> Those are two very yeah. different things. And I think being clear about that and bringing in specialists into your different departments who can help you mature your operation, um, you know, that, that's some of the main things that I'd be thinking about. Yeah, I love that. I, I I use that a lot. So a lot of a lot of founders they they like to be contrarian, um, because they think it's <laughs> by being different it's some it's a it's a uh, it's an advantage, right? Well, yeah. everyone else is doing it this way, so if we do it differently, then that may turn out to be an advantage. But the, the way I kind of describe it is there's the domain of known problems and unknown problems, and as much mm -hmm. as possible, you want to be focusing on the unknown problems. So take stuff off the shelf, right? Let other people yeah. figure things out. Uh, and focus on on not only your key value, but also the the key differentiator in terms of how you you create your business or your business process. There's a um, there's a Carl Sagan quote, which is a little bit weird, but I, I love it. It resonates with me, uh, where he says, "If you if you want to bake an apple pie from scratch, you first have to invent the universe." <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's like, don't go inventing the universe. Just bake the pie. <laughs> yeah. You know. Sometimes I have to pull that out, but um, I agree with that. You know, I have to talk to people about that all the time as well, because it's like, look, there's 7 billion people on the planet. There's been billions of people before us. You're probably not the first person to try and solve this problem. So can we figure out what the people before us tried? What are the best practices? 
And then instead of starting from a blank sheet, let's start from what maybe has worked well in other situations similar to this or maybe even identical to this. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Yeah. And even in terms of the leadership, as you said, so yeah, you bring those early startup leaders with you and they may have not seen it. They may not have, they don't have the pattern recognition at that level of scale. And unfortunately they become, um, well, they, they don't work out. And so that really becomes that time at which you might have to turn over some of that senior leadership and, and whether it's find a new role or even let go of some of that early founding team and find people that really have been there and done that at the next level of scale. Because in that scale stage, again, things are moving exponentially. You really don't have time to learn on the job anymore. You need people that can just bring what works, even bring a team with them that works and just implement it because things are gonna move faster than, than you can really change. Yeah, and one other tip that I'd say here, this is more from my consulting background, a little bit from Kaizen, um, is just the communication with team members, you know, um, sometimes a division of the business where the business will grow so fast that people actually find themselves a little underwater with all the responsibilities that are now rolling up to them. And being intentional about titles early on in the business, like when you have three people, maybe everyone's not a VP, um, you know, but if you've kind of been in a situation where someone has a VP title, but they wouldn't qualify for that title in a business now with the size the business is. Um, I've found that having very direct conversations with people on a human level can actually lead to uh, those people realizing, okay, you know, we're going to bring someone in. I'm going to report to that person now, but it's actually going to be a great learning experience, you know, for me. And I'm still essential to what we're doing here. And so I think sometimes I've seen things go off the rails with people, um, you know, around some of these conversations where conversations, you know, direct conversations could be helpful because there is institutional knowledge that your earliest people have. It's really valuable to keep in the business. And there's also that personal relationship that you have with them that they've helped build it and the pride that they have. So I try to keep those people as involved as, as long as possible. Yeah. Um, so what, so yeah. what you're talking about here is, is coaching too. And that's actually how I got to where I am today. Um, and, and a lot of my business is really around coaching those earlier executives to try to scale up or at least even understand what their strengths are and where they need to maybe let go. Um, and so actually, so I have a, a leadership framework that I use in my coaching practice. I call it full stack leadership. And the bottom layers are kind of what you'd consider the core of leadership, operations, strategy, and vision. And so there's a lot, obviously, that goes into that. That's running the business, right? And that's actually a lot of what, what it means to, to be an executive. But the top two layers for me are storytelling and coaching. We talked a lot about storytelling. That's, that's the connective tissue. That's how you actually connect the vision, which is the future, present, which is the operations, through the strategy, which is the path to get there, right? But the storytelling is the, is the connective tissue, and it's also the vehicle that you use to get people from the present to the future. But then the top level is, is coaching. So how do you actually turn this around and make it about them? How do you connect with people personally, whether it's your teammates, your cu customers, your investors, or, or the public in general, um, and, and talk about how they can become, you know, realize their potential and be the best version of themselves through the vehicle of your company? So we've got our mission and we've got our vision and we've got all these things we have to do and we've got our customers and what have you. But how can I connect with you and inspire and motivate you 
to be the best version of yourself and help us help you and, and vice versa. Um, so that's exactly what you're talking about here is at that scale. And I would say at the enterprise level really is where that becomes your primary role is being that of a coach. You're not tactical anymore, maybe less even strategic. You've got people that are driving a lot of the strategy for you and your job now really becomes coaching. Yeah. Well, first of all, um, I think that was very eloquently said uh, about the importance of coaching. And um, I love that vision. And that's actually a huge reason why I start companies. Um, you know, personally, I think that, you know, being like your job can be one of the greatest sources of personal growth um, for you in, in the human experience. And so I love that idea of, of using someone's career to help them have the life of their dreams. Um, so I love the way that you talked about that. And it's interesting. I didn't talk about coaching in some of the keys and some of the earlier stuff, but I think it is really important um, to, to be able to do that. I think that really helps us, you know, recruit well. Um, and then, yeah, at the enterprise level, um, I think, you know, you're going to see lots of different types of CEOs at the enterprise level. And to your point, at this point, you're surrounded by a lot of experts. And you can choose which experts to surround yourself with. Some CEOs are the best marketer. You know, they're the best salesperson. They're the best developer or, you know, product person. Um, some are the best coach, right? And I do think that being um, someone who helps referee disagreements um, is going to be a really important, um, you know, part of things when you have two really important or senior, um, you know, people uh, who are debating something, they need a tiebreaker in those conversations um, or you need to bring more people in. I think that's an essential role. I love coaching as an essential role. I do think that at this level, you know, um, we compete directly with Salesforce. And one of the things I've heard is that Mark, uh, the CEO of Salesforce and, and one of their founders, spends a lot of time still to this day having direct meetings with other CEOs who are considering their platform. Um, interestingly, that's something I also spend time doing. And so um, that's, I think, um, you know, you're kind of, uh, I think also there can be PR responsibilities. There can be, if you're a company that's on the public markets, you obviously need to handle all that. So depending on how big your business is and what your personal strengths are, I think that helps figure out what you should be focusing on versus what your team should be focused on. Yeah, I love that. So that, that, that last point you made uh, is something I, I evangelize a lot is the one thing that doesn't scale that you should do is talk to your customers. Uh, <laughs> I, I argue that it doesn't matter if you are the CEO of a multinational corporation. If you aren't talking to your customers, if you don't have personal relationships with your customers, you're out of touch. And if you're, right. how can you lead if you're out of touch? So that's the one thing I do at any, I, I suggest at any scale is every single C-level executive needs to have personal relationships with real customers so that they can understand them, they can empathize with them, and they can also look for opportunities. Because like you said, they got to where they are by being the best at what they do, right? And how else can they, you know, they, they gain that inspiration mm -hmm. to be the, the top salesperson, marketer, engineer, what have you, um, if they don't have any context, essentially. So that's, that's wonderful. So yeah, I think uh, I appreciate your, your, <laughs> your input and all that. And, and I, I got a lot out of it for sure. I hope you did as well. Yeah, me too. That was fun. Um, but I think some of the key, you know, the key uh, uh, themes coming through here, obviously, is that, you know, while the, while the challenges may uh, shift throughout the stages of growth, there are common themes, themes around 
connecting with people and attracting great talent, themes around understanding and engaging with your customer, around clarifying and communicating your vision. Um, and then ultimately, I think sort of delegating and elevating yourself, which is something I yeah. kind of talk about a lot. You almost have to molt your skin or your, you know, your shell to become a new, a new uh, leader at each stage of growth. And, um, and that involves bringing great leaders and people underneath you, coaching them, training them, giving them all the context, and then moving up to that, that next level. So absolutely. So let's talk about Kaizen. <laughs> it's been, <laughs> it's been a while, but let's talk about it. So, so Kaizen, uh, well, why don't you tell me what's the, what's the mission? Yeah. So fundamentally, um, we believe that we can help individuals and teams two to 10 X their productivity. And the reason why that's exciting to me is because if we can help everyone be more productive, we create more abundance for humanity and kind of going towards this goal of, you know, making sure that everyone has an awesome life, like everywhere, every corner of the planet, all people. That's what's really exciting to me. Some people will go, how exactly is it that an enterprise software company can help make that happen, right? <laughs> and so what it is, is that we saw firsthand that team members today are spread across dozens of different pieces of technology in order to do their job. And they often are siloed from other departments who are also working with their customer or on that type of project. And so we wanted to build a platform that had a few key differences. First of all, it unified all of the different data from different parts of the business so that each team member had one source of truth, one place they could go and, and see what's going on. Secondly, you know, from here, you're able to enable really intelligent automation and personalized insights to help people, uh, you know, save time and, and do a better job for the customer. The last piece of this is that the previous generation of technology for sales, marketing, and operations teams, it was uh, a significant improvement from Gen 1, but Gen 2 still took a lot of time and money and customized coding to get it to work the way that you wanted. We wanted to build a 100% no-code platform so that anyone who can drag you know, the apps around on their smartphone could now customize the software to work exactly the way that they need. So if we put it in a nutshell, what is Kaizen from a product perspective? Um, it is the first enterprise-grade and no-code CRM marketing and operations platform. And so that's kind of the, the high level. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So, so maybe um, to make it, to help me connect with it, can you talk to me about a, a real customer, maybe one of your favorite customers and what are the specific challenges that, that they were struggling with before and how you came in and helped them overcome it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll speak about one of our first because they're really fun. Um, it's a company actually out of San Francisco called WorkWise um, with a Q, W-E-R-Q. And so if anyone is looking for, uh, you know, co-working space that's very entrepreneurial in San Francisco, they're a great place to look. Um, you know, they had a number of systems as they were just getting this business started in 2018 um, that were disconnected. And I was speaking with their CEO and he said, I want technology that helps the process be more human, right? And helps us really deliver an incredible one-of-a-kind experience for our customers. And so what that meant was that they were currently using HubSpot. 
um, you know, a number of different procurement vendors, a number of different ticket vendors for different requests, um, you know, a different CRM. And what we were able to do is in the course of about two weeks, bring their marketing, sales, onboarding, offboarding, and customer requests functionality into one unified system. Now, they had spent over a year with the previous vendors trying to get it to work the way they want. And in a matter of weeks, we got everything configured for them where they were able to you know, grow faster. They were able to sell out their first location. Um, they were able to be more efficient and deliver that better customer experience that they wanted. We also helped them track all of their different marketing investments so they could understand what was really driving profitability versus, you know, uh, investments they should maybe move, move away from. Interesting. So, so are you creating kind of a unified user interface around a workflow that may connect into multiple uh, SaaS platforms? Yes. So this is different from like a, a Zapier, for example, where you've got to go into each individual platform, even though they're connected. You're talking about creating an interface on top of that. Yeah. So if we're talking about the technical details of the platform, there's uh, five modules to our platform. Um, the first is the data platform. And that becomes the single source of truth for the entire business. So we connect absolutely everything into that. Then we have a market, uh, a module for sales teams, a module for marketing teams, module for operations teams, and an insights engine that can deliver insights into any of the different platforms that you work in. So our operations module is commonly the one that works as you were just saying. There's a number of different systems that need to be updated. But I want to give my team members one place where we can, you know, just work from there, give them all the information they need and update any older legacy systems that need to be updated. Oftentimes, there may be a few systems that we decide to get rid of as we modernize as well. Yeah. So, so you say no code and, and, and you know, this is one of the, the new uh, Silicon Valley buzzwords that, you know, maybe yeah. like AI or whatever it may be. So <laughs> like think about it from a, from a user perspective. So who can actually go in here and create these, these workflows? Yeah, so um, you want to have an operations mindset if you're going to be developing an enterprise workflow. So formerly, you know, there's consultants, there's project managers, and they used to take the technical requirements and send those over to a, uh, you know, developer to do the work. Um, nowadays, you know, if you have a, a sales ops, marketing ops, uh, you know, a director or, or manager or above who has kind of that mindset, they can go in and configure it themselves. I mean, one of uh, the big problems that we face as a civilization right now is there aren't enough engineers, right? right? right. And so if we make coding be the barrier to accessing next generation technology like automation and AI, then we have a really big problem because only a sliver of our population can use it. And so with Kaizen, we're really democratizing access to these technologies. We will be releasing no-code AI. It won't just be a buzzword um, in the next few months here. So that, you know, people with small teams, larger teams, they can access this technology in a way they weren't able to before. That's awesome. So what are like, so kind of getting back to even our, our, uh, our workshop, what are some of the key frustrations that customers out there that are, you know, they're struggling with this stuff every day that they're going to hear this and go, oh my gosh, I need to go check out Kaizen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, starting module by module. Um, you know, the data side, if you don't have, if you have a situation where your organization is siloed, where you're not able to answer key questions like, you know, um, what's really driving growth in the business? You know, what are our profit margins? 
how much are our customers growing? If sales and marketing are giving you two different reports, that's where you need a unified data platform, right? That's also going to be the fuel for all of your automation and AI stuff if you have a large enough data set. From a sales perspective, sales CRM is pretty mature, right? It's, um, you know, we need to know what's going on with our sales team. We need to understand what we're going to close, right? We need to help our sales team adopt best practices. The big problem with our competitors that we saw firsthand was that they really didn't help the users, right? They saw it as a big brother. The difference with this, we like to call it the third generation of CRM technology, is that it's helpful. It's useful. We've, we're delivering a great service and value to that salesperson, that sales rep. So by doing that, by winning those microtransactions with them, they want to use the platform. So that way you get better data from them, you get better compliance from them, and you're able to have your sales team ultimately close more deals and be more predictable. From a marketing perspective, the biggest thing is, look, I want to be able to communicate with my customers across a number of different ways, right? My team may be talking with them on the website, you know, text messaging, emails, different messaging services, you know, depending on what part of the world people are in, they care about different ones. I need to bring that all together and I need to deliver a personalized journey for each person. So the way that I love to think about designing the customer journey is if I could have my best person just be obsessed with this one customer, what would I send them when through what channel? And now you can automate that so that you can scale and deliver that amazing experience, right? And then from an operations perspective, this is where there's everything from commissions management, you know, where if you have a sales team with complicated commissions, you have contracting that needs to be done. You have customer onboarding. Every good customer experience is typically a workflow. There's a series of events that happen from different roles, different activities that they need to complete. I need to track all that and make sure that it's all executed on time, you know, to the right standard. And so the operations module allows you to build that out similar to a service now, right? So that when someone orders or when there's a certain workflow that kicks off, we're also seeing a lot of demand for people operations workflows today. So for recruiting um, different team members and managing things like that, for onboarding them, for managing the career planning, you know, processes. Uh, there's dozens of templates that we have on our website for how people are using that um, tool. Um, and then the Insight Engine is just someone saying, hey, look, I want to be able to have really accurate reports on what the heck is going on with my business, right? We all want to be data-driven executives, but sometimes when we look in the mirror, we may go, I have some data, but I'm mostly like, you know, using my gut here. And it's not that we don't want the data, it's just that we don't have it. And so that insights engine of something that's giving us alerts, letting us know what to pay attention to, what's off track, you know, what are sales actually going to be? If a company is big enough saying, look, what is my path towards having artificial intelligence in my business? That's what that product is for. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's, wow, that's a lot. That's big. That's <laughs> so you, enterprise grade, as you mentioned. So, so you, say, you, you say it's enterprise grade. Are you targeting specifically large enterprises or sort of what, what stage would it make sense for, for someone to come uh, and try out your platform? So I wish I had Kaizen when I started every single one of my businesses, including sure. the one when I was 13. So it was really important to me to, I love entrepreneurship. It's a big mm -hmm. part of who I am. I'm very involved locally with the University of Texas, where I went to college, supporting them there. Um, and just entrepreneurs in general, you know, that reach out. I try to spend some time with them if I can. 
And so we want to build a platform and we have a startup program, you know, where we give our technology away for free. We give heavy discounts as well to small businesses. So I wanted to have something that, um, you know, could work for every size business. So last year, our smallest customer paid us $10 a month and our largest customer paid us over nine and a half million dollars. And so we built a platform so that it can work for the biggest, most complex companies with the most data requirements. Um, We're working on completing um, the type of certifications you need to uh, store top secret data for the U.S. government as well. So we're built to that level and, and to handle massive data sets. But we also made it so that you can go, you can get a free trial, you can use this in your business and you can know that I'm building on a platform that's priced great for me right now today and can grow with me because I'm sure one of the things you see as well is people, just like we talked about certain, you know, team members may not be a fit, certain technology isn't a fit for as you grow. And so I saw so much pain with that as I helped companies scale. I felt like it was important to have a platform that everyone could access. It could help you even if you're just getting started and you can know I've got an amazing foundation to grow with over time. Oh, that's fantastic. Because I, I work, I, I coach a lot of CTOs as well. And that is one of the the biggest frustrations and worries that they have is, am I investing in something that isn't going to scale with the company? Um, yep. So to have something that can that can promise that is is wonderful. Uh, well, I, I, I see we're coming up on time here. I want to be mindful uh, of your time. But um, are there any other kind of final thoughts or, or tips or lessons learned or even questions that you'd like to put out there uh, before we wrap up? Yeah. Well, first of all, a big thank you to you, Eric. This has been really fun. I did learn a lot hearing about your your matrix and I enjoyed hearing the way that you think about this and the way that you coach it. So I think this is a really valuable, um, you know, experience that you're putting together, you know, for me as, as well as for everyone listening, hopefully. And so what I'll say to everyone listening as a final thought, who's considering entrepreneurship or being a leader in a company that's growing quickly is, is what we talked about at the very beginning, connecting with the why, connecting with the purpose, and being able to tell the story of why this matters. That's important not only to others, but it's important for you to connect with that yourself. There's going to be ups and downs. The ups are easy. The downs are tough. And so having that conviction in what you're building and connecting with why you're building it is what allows you to handle those curveballs. So You know, if you are able to go through the process and say, hey, this is something I really want to go after, Um, I'm excited to hear more. Um, You know, we'll do everything that we can to support you um, from, I'm sure, both of our directions here. Um, But the world needs great people to build more stuff, solve the problems that we have. So I'm very excited to be here. Thank you again for having me. And um, yeah, it was a great time. Very well said. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate it. Take care. Hey everyone, Eric here. I'm excited to tell you about a new coaching program I'm launching, lovingly called the Product Market Fit Accelerator. It's an executive forum style program where I'll be working with a handful of growth stage SaaS founders who are growing but still searching for product market fit. In this program, I'm helping SaaS founders increase your NPS score from good to great by deeply engaging with your customers and creating an incredible customer experience so that you can multiply your growth without additional effort. I hope you turn your early adopters into loyal ambassadors so that you have champions and subscribers for life. You'll multiply your engagement and retention so that you know you're delivering a great experience and solving big problems for your customers. 
I'll help you quickly move from growth to scale so that you're amplifying your wins and you're built to last. I'll help you focus your time and energy on the right thing so that you solve your most critical problems and be the best version of yourself. And I'll help you transform into the leader you'll need to become at the next stage of growth so that you can inspire and motivate your team, your customers, and your investors. So if you're interested, please reach out and connect with me. I'm offering an introductory price and some nice guarantees and bonuses to make sure you get a ton of value. I hope to hear from you soon. Have a wonderful day.